Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the College Info Geek podcast, where for an entire week I have been wearing the exact same shirt. Every day. And so have you. All day. Disgusting. Hey. So disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you remember how we talked about, like a few episodes ago, that we were going to talk about some things that um, young adults concern themselves with? then may not be immediately applicable to the average high school student. Yeah. Today's episode is one of those episodes. Uh-oh. Because it's time to expand your horizons. It is. It's time to expand your horizons um, and learn about buying houses because that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, apparently. I, I think, you know, a lot of people probably want to buy a house at some point. I think so. I think that home Fairly common goal. Yeah. It's, it's a dream of many. Uh, though, if Twitter is any, any indication, the millennial generation has this sort of collective belief that homeownership is a goal out of their reach. And there is certainly data to back that up. But I think that uh, it's not necessarily a goal that is permanently out of reach, but maybe a little bit beyond. Just where, beyond like where it used to be age-wise. Yeah, exactly. The, the goalposts have moved, but it's something that will eventually happen. And I think that even if people aren't planning on buying a house now, they would like to know what are the pros and cons? Uh, why would I want to buy a house versus rent? And when should I even consider it? Yeah. And <clears throat> quite recently, I think uh, you and I and our girlfriends have all kind of decided that we have gotten to that point in our lives where we want to start thinking about actually owning a place. Yeah. Day I turned 27, it was like a light switch. Was that what it was? Like, seriously? Just, it was on that day. Exactly. Exactly that day? Yeah. So the moment I turned 27, I'll, I'll the need moment, a house. The moment I turned 27, I like wanted a house. I bought a power drill. And mm. for my for my own birthday, I bought myself a fancy Japanese chef knife. So I was like, I'm an old man now. <laughs> I, th I thought you were joking about these. That all happened. I was like, no, you actually did do this. I, I did remember. Do, I did all of that. <laughs> I remember exactly you that day. And I later, I also bought myself a bookshelf. As, as a, <laughs> so I was just like settling down. Oh man! And now everybody under the age of like 25 has stopped listening because. We're just Something a couple like of that. old guys who buy power drills and bookshelves. <laughs> it's a really nice knife, though. It is a really nice knife. I really like the design on it, and it makes it's me cool. want to buy one. It's, it's good of my steel. Own. It's got a sharper angle. Have you had to sharpen it yet? Uh, no. No. Nope. You just have you had to hone it at all? I haven't used it enough because, ironically, I've been in a bad cooking place since then, which uh, I am fixing as of late. And tell me how that makes you feel. Makes me feel like. Uh, <laughs> hungry fair enough i want to cook are you gonna cook tonight yeah well there you go you are already getting out of the bad cooking place i think our cat really does want to be the podcast cat because she's just like hanging out in the studios but she doesn't yet know where the cameras are pointed so she doesn't get to be a podcast she cat. doesn't know how to be a star nope come on cat you got some work to do anyway so yeah you and i have kind of come across this realization that we're sort of done with the whole idea of renting yeah um so i wanted to 
make this episode the start of a very informal series. And it is informal because we do not have a plan of when the episodes are going to come out. I don't even yet have a plan of what the episodes are going to cover. The idea in my head right now is that within the next year or so, our goal is to each have bought a house. And whether or not that happens within the next year or within the next two years, I wanted to have a series that follows that journey. So that way, like while we're in the moment, while we're dealing with figuring out how to get a mortgage or figuring out, you know, what to look for in a house or dealing with inspectors or um, how to afford it, like all these questions, I I feel like having a sort of in the trenches view is going to be a lot more useful than someone just reading like a dummies book that just has somebody who bought their house 20 or 40 years ago. Yeah. Just doing internet research and being like, well... You're going to want to get a mortgage loan officer and yeah, then you're yeah, going to make it as dry as possible. Deal with PMI or not deal with PMI. And yeah, I feel like it's going to be more interesting when we can say like, okay, here's my budget. Here's exactly what I'm working with. Here's what I'm looking for. How does that work? What is my timeline like? All that kind of stuff. I think there's going to be lots of questions. And because this is going to be an evolving series that follows you and I and the whole buying the house process, I would love to hear questions from our listeners and our watchers, watchers, the watchers, uh, the viewers on YouTube. So if this is something interesting to you, leave your questions in the comments on YouTube or you can tweet them to us and we will keep them in mind for when we do the next episodes in the series. Maybe I haven't even thought of that part yet. You know, maybe exactly. Maybe it'll be like, oh, I do have to think about that. Yeah. Maybe someone will ask a question and be like, oh, uh oh, maybe I can't buy a house. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I guess the question is, what, why exactly do you want to own a home, um, you know, I mean, what was your mindset like before now? Oh, well, this is actually going to be, it's a huge flip, you know, because I used to think I never want a house. I, I used to, yeah. I used to be like, I'm just going to, why would I, why would I want to own a house? I have to own something then. I just want to rent apartments forever and, mm-hmm. and it'll be cheaper or something theoretically, even though over the long haul, it's really not. But then I can like move whenever I want and do all yeah. ultimate freedom. I don't need a house, man. I'm still young. And then, you know, light switch. And suddenly, (laughs) suddenly I'm just like, it's a lot of the realization over the last year or two, as I've just been sort of embracing the idea that what makes me most happy and what makes really anybody the most happy is the happiness involved in their average boring day. Mm -hmm. Like you come, you go to work, you come home from work, you make dinner, you do normal stuff. Cause that's what 90% of our life is. And that's just how it is. You cannot, by default, have more than you have. You can't have more than average days on yeah. average. That doesn't make any sense. You're going to have boring days most of the time. So I guess we should put out there that we have a particular lifestyle. And I'm sure there's people out there who are much more active and like constantly going out to things. And maybe they think differently than we well, do. Well, their average day is crazy. It's still an average day. So their style. happiness is still based on their average day. Yeah. And my average day is I just kind of realized – most of what I want is to do do work that I'm proud of, feel mm-hmm. good, you know, have a leisurely lunch, go for a walk, read, maybe go outside and just kind of be alone outside somewhere, have privacy. Yeah. Whereas like, so we moved here to Denver and I was all like, here's all this exciting stuff, restaurants, tons of, tons of food I can eat everywhere. We're going to be so close to grocery stores. We're going to be so close to everything. And it's the greatest. And there's like a... 
you know, there's like trails and all this stuff. But when I go on trails, I'm just like, oh, there are so many people here. And my only outside space that's private is my like deck. Yeah. And you do have to kind of travel a bit to get to any sort of non-busy natural space here. Yeah. In fact, the closest place that I can think of is the place where we went to film that little segment, which was a 25-minute drive away. And even that, there were constantly people walking yeah. by. So there, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, isolation in nature that you could access. Now, you can do it by going into the mountains for sure. Well, yeah. But, of course, you need to go pretty far out to find a yeah. trail and, that and isn't the thing is, I could pretty still, busy. That's not my average day. I'm not, exactly, I don't have yeah. the time on an average day to, to go out to the mountains. But Well, that was the thing I think we realized about moving here is there is much more access to a lot of things. But there's also so many more people. So the logistics of getting to any of those things yeah. involves more time, which a lot of times means that you're just not going to do it. Like there's more choice, but it all takes more time to get to. And some nights you just don't have that time. Yeah. And I, I guess another part of it is that it just occurred to me that the amount that I pay for rent here would easily be mortgage payment on like, an, like a nice house. Yep. And I was just like, what? But all that rent I paid last year, it's just gone, <laughs> right? And if I paid it toward a house, eventually that money is still mine. Yes. Because I own the house. I still get the value. I'm investing in myself mm-hmm. when I pay a, pay like a mortgage or something. Yeah. When I pay rent, it just disappears. All this money forever is just gone. So I don't really like to put it that way because that is the big argument that everyone says who's on the side of buy versus rent. When, you're, when you buy a house, you have a mortgage, and every dollar, at least in the principal that you pay back on that mortgage, is going into equity in your home, yeah. meaning you know, a percentage of your home that you own, and eventually you will own your, your home outright. And homes are among the only assets that we have. Let me put it this way. Homes are among the only assets that the average person actually gains utility out of that also appreciates in value over time. So you can have many assets that are an investment, such as uh, shares in a mutual fund or lots of gold buried in your backyard or Bitcoin or something like that, where the value most likely will appreciate, but the asset itself doesn't have a whole lot of day-to-day utility. Yeah. And then most of the things that we use on a day-to-day basis, like a car or like anything on this table, depreciates in value over time. It's worth less. But a house is the like one of the very few things that you're going to use on a day-to-day basis, but it also ends up being more valuable. And th- that's basically comes down to the fact that land is is where real value is. Yeah. Because land and where you put your roots down is, is like the main core human drive other than companionship and reproduction. And uh, areas tend to build up over time and, and improve and people want to be there. So as you know, as an area builds up, that becomes more desirable. Yeah. You know, and the fact that you're using it doesn't really matter. Um, the way I like to frame this is, yes, if you buy, your mortgage payments are going towards equity being built in your house. And if you rent, every dollar in rent that you are paying is not going to building any sort of equity. But what the rent is buying you, other than access to your apartment, is freedom. Well, yeah. That's the big thing that you have to consider is if you buy a house, you're pretty tied down to that house. You may have the ability to sell it at some point and hopefully get a profit out of it or at least not be underwater, but that's very difficult to do. It takes a long time. Whereas with this apartment, we can wait until the lease is done and then we can walk away 
you know, just wash our hands of the whole thing. If we decide we want to move to Portland or New York City or Mumbai or wherever next year, we could do it. Yeah. So you're gaining a place to live without putting down roots. Yeah, no, no commitment. That's what. You, yeah, that's what you're getting. But so really, in my opinion, like if you're going to, if you're gonna, if you're, if you're going through this argument in your head of whether I should rent or I should buy, um, obviously there's going to be some financial considerations because, yep. uh, barring some programs that we will talk about, there is a larger upfront cost to buying a house, a very large one, yep. which is what typically Quite bars large. people from home ownership when they're young. Uh, whereas with rent, it's like you can rent basically anywhere, you know, and as long as you meet the credit requirements or have a cosigner or whatever, much lower barrier to entry. So beyond that argument, the main choice that I think you have to make is, or I guess the main question you have to ask yourself is, do I plan on being here wherever here is for like, say five years at least? Yeah, I think if that's not, why I didn't want to do it before. Yeah, exactly. We didn't know where we were going it was, to be. It was the freedom. But now, you know, getting older, it's it's becoming more solidified what I actually want from the future. Mm-hmm. So it's safer to make a commitment that's big. I think you've had time to sort of come to know yourself. Yeah. And I don't know if you would agree with this, but I feel like looking back, you know, the, the earlier years of my life after college ended, um, there was a lot more turmoil. And I don't want to say turmoil like a bad way, but there's a lot it more in It was the darkest time of my life. Yeah, this was the dark times. Uh, you know, there was like, I was earlier on in my relationship. And, you know, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen with that. Um, yeah. I didn't know what was exactly going to happen with my business. Like the, the, the path forward was much less clear in many different ways. Whereas now, there is still much excitement and many different options. But I've been with Anna for more than five years You've been with Ashley for nearly five years. You know, that that seems pretty stable so far. Yeah. Um, and we kind of, you know, we've lived long enough out of school. Like I've been out of school for five years to sort of know the ebbs and flows of my daily life. Yeah. And I think you do too. Even with the money, I don't think I would have been ready to like just buy a house right out of school, you know, because mm-hmm. you don't know yourself. Maybe I wanted to go to all those crazy cities and do all that stuff. And now I'm more of the mindset that, Actually, on most days, I kind of just want to be at home doing my calm, solitary things. Yeah. And if if I have a home and I make sure that I, I have like an area with a low cost of living mm-hmm. compared to what I make, I can just travel to all those fancy places, go to some Airbnb and pretend to live in the coolest places ever in some mountain house. Yeah. And like buying a mountain house is going to be insane financially. That's insanely expensive. Buying a cheaper <laughs> but pretty nice house somewhere else and then airbnb in the mountain house to entertain myself every once in a while mm-hmm. way more affordable that's a very within reach dream yeah exactly so uh before i kind of like give my perspective on this which is very similar to yours i think i do want to put out there that you and i are in a very atypical situation yes because um you know not not like complete freedom but we do have the option of traveling roughly whenever we want. So I guess at at this current moment right now, both of our girlfriends have full-time jobs, which restricts the ability for us, you know, and and couples to travel whenever we want. Um, Anna is leaving her job and she will be done in like two weeks from the day we record this. So that's going to go away for me. And then maybe at some point in the future, Ashley will be full-time on her own thing. We don't know. But, you know, right now, there's a little bit of restriction, but you and I don't have full-time jobs. So I think that there's a little bit of 
a different sort of mental calculus that we're doing versus the kind of mental calculus that somebody who's going to have a full-time job and who will only have the weekends available to them is going to do. Yeah. You know, somebody like our friend Amar, he works full-time, he has the weekends available. I think he's going to be a lot more enamored with the idea of having close non-plane travel or non-big road travel, you know, kind of access to things like the mountains and all the crazy amenities that a big city like this uh, gives them. So that is one thing that I think people need to think about when they're doing this whole rent versus buy whole like affordability calculation is what does the location you want to be in offer you and, you know, what are you able to afford there? So in our case, and I, I think we can, we're pretty much like set on this so we can say it now. Uh, we've lived in Denver for about a year. We'll probably be here for about another year, but then we are actually going to go move back to Iowa. Yep. Because the real estate market in Iowa is reasonable and the real estate market in Denver, Colorado is absolutely bonkers. Yeah. And if we were to want to be able to afford it, so I'll put it this way, like I could work my butt off and scrimp and save and buy a house in a location that I would actually like to live in here in Denver, I could probably do it, but I would be so house poor that I would be uncomfortable with my whole situation. And if anything happened to the income of the business, I would be in so much trouble. Yeah, because it's a really long-term commitment. (laughs) Exactly, you know, 30 years and you, you you know, there there are houses I've seen in the areas that we'd want to live, like $500,000 is like the bottom. Oh yeah, because, you know, we're in a unique situation. If you get your money online, cost of living really makes a difference because we make the same dollars if we move back to Iowa. And in Iowa, those dollars go way farther. Mm -hmm. And and like, yeah, I was comparing houses and there was one, I I don't remember the price, but there was one that was just like this tiny gray shack, basically (laughs) no garage, no anything in Denver. Okay. Probably decent. It's still fine. But the same exact price. In Iowa was like three bedrooms, huge garage, yard, ev- mm-hmm. like everything you could think of. It was just insane. You get double to triple the house. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, now you make a good point here for people who have a single location, full-time job, the cost of living and the average salary, uh, that relationship between those two numbers yeah. matters a lot. And I believe that there is a whole cost of living and average income calculator website you can go to. Um, I don't know if you told me about one that you looked at, but there, I believe numbio.com. I don't remember the do, one I looked at. So numbio.com, I know can do a cost of living calculator, uh, comparison between different cities. That so, might've been the one I looked at. Okay. So yeah, if you're, if you're comparing Denver to Des Moines or you're comparing New York city to Tulsa, Oklahoma, you could see, and it'll tell you like to live the equivalent lifestyle that $4,000 a month would get you in Tulsa, you would need to be making $9,000 a month in New York City or something like that. Yeah. Um, now, there, this, obviously, you can't go off numbers just like this because there's always going to be variations based on the neighborhood you move into and yeah. different deals you can find. Like if you want to make it work in New York City, plenty of people with far less money than we do or we have make it work. You know, you just might have to live with roommates or you might have to have a longer commute. There's all these variables you have to keep in mind. Um, but yeah, if you are going to be working full time, you have to look at, you know, what can I get paid in the bigger city? And does the increase in salary outpace the increase in cost of living, especially given the housing market? Yeah. And in many cities, Denver included, the majority of that cost of living increase is in either rent or the real estate market. So like we said, a 
nice three to four bedroom house in basically the city center of Des Moines, Iowa, which is a fun city. You know, I will defend it. It's, it, you know, we thought it was boring when we lived there, but now that we've had a comparison to a big city, like Des Moines, not that bad. Yeah. They got arcade bar, they got coffee shops, they got, you know, grocery store, they have everything. Well, you know, the thing, it's just I, I don't not go as to much. the things here that often. Exactly. I just, I needed to accept the fact that I'm pretty introverted and I just mm-hmm. like that. I'll go out of my comfort zone, you know, but not every day. Yeah. So I'm paying for the average day here when I'm living the same average day that I could live. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anybody listening to Anywhere. this, you can do these numbers on, or you can look at the, the average prices on uh, Zillow.com, which is where I do all my research. If you're looking in like around the city center or near it for Des Moines, Iowa, you're going to find three to four bedroom houses, maybe not brand new construction, but close to it for $250,000 to $300,000 potentially, maybe a little bit more. Uh, in Denver, in like near the city center area, you could be seeing five hundred dollars to $800,000 to $900,000, yeah. which is just crazy. Yeah. And I mean, sure, the two hundred and fifty-three that that is expensive, but like it gets so much more expensive. It does, yeah. It's just it's crazy. So, you know, and a two, I think a two hundred and fifty thousand dollars house is something that um, a college graduate who graduates with minimal debt could probably look to afford in maybe five years after college. So, you know, to to make this really simple, because we're gonna do an episode at some point that goes much more in detail about the finances once we're actually dealing with them. Yeah. But the reason that most people who are young cannot afford a house is because you need to put down a down payment um, to be able to get the mortgage. That's the kicker. So a bank is going to lend you the money. It's called a mortgage. This is the loan that allows you to buy your house. But they will typically only lend you 80% of that. They want a 20% down payment. Now, there are programs and situations where you can go with a less than 20% down payment, but there are consequences to that. And we could breeze over them really quickly in a second. But let's just say you want a $200,000 house. Well, the 20% down payment on that is 40 grand. Yeah, that's And <laughs> Let me not just see many... if I have that in my back pocket. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it, it takes a long time to save up that much money. So, but you know, if you have two college graduates who have minimal debt and they're both making a pretty good salary, they get married, you could probably save up 40 grand in a few years. Uh, We've got plenty of listeners on Listen Money Matters that have emailed in and showed us all of their numbers and made it clear that that's what they could do. We've answered a lot of questions there. But a $700,000 house in the city center of Denver, Colorado, that's 140 grand. It's a whole $100,000 extra that you would have to plunk down your down payment. And then once you have parted (laughs) with that chunk of change, now you're paying a much, much, much bigger mortgage. So yeah. the opportunity to build your savings back up is very small. And like salary goes up with cost of living usually, but I don't know that it goes up quite enough to give you that deposit real fast. That's Yeah, that's the thing. In these big, you know, hip cities, uh, aside from very specific career fields where the salaries are very high, like data science and things like that, you know, a lot of times the um, the cost of living, especially in the housing, accelerates and outpaces the cost or the uh, the salary increases. So it can be very expensive to try to buy in a in a big hip city like Denver or Portland or San Diego or New York City or wherever Seattle. Seattle's fun, yeah, uh, but it's expensive. I, like I, I love Portland and Seattle; mm-hmm. they're great. I want to visit them, and yeah. I will save up the money to visit them by not living there. <laughs> exactly. So, 
again, we have a very atypical experience, but I think that moving from Des Moines to Denver and getting that big city experience actually was very helpful in clarifying the mindset required to figure out where do you want to live and yeah. is it actually worth it to to start looking into this big commitment? Um, and like you, it was an observation of my everyday life and then asking the hard question of, do I need to be in this more expensive place for that to be enabled? You know, and for me, it's it's very similar to you. I wake up, I go to the gym or I play basketball or I go for a bike ride, do my work, which is usually here. And then I cook dinner or I will go out and hang out with friends or, you know, I'll go to a restaurant with Anna or we'll play video games. Nothing that we have to be in a huge city to do. Yeah. And as much as I love hiking, we don't do it super often. And I actually travel a lot for work and I would like to travel more for, um, you know, personal travel. And the funny thing is it's actually quicker to get to the airport in Des Moines than it is here. So it was, again, those, those hard questions, like, do I need to be here? Do I need to try to come up with seven to $800,000 to get the type of house I would want in this city to make this happen? Well, the answer is no. And I mean, the whole reason this started happening is I I asked myself that question internally. And then I was very afraid that Anna and you and Ashley would, would not think the same way that I was thinking and would want to stay here. Um, But I believe in candid communication so I brought it up kind of casually, and turns out that Anna and you and Ashley all sort oh, of yeah. wanted to go yeah, back. I was as well. just like, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> we can say it. We can say it because it feels bad. It feels like mm-hmm. you should be ashamed or something. Like, yeah. oh, you just want to go home. Yeah. But it's not know. that simple, though. I don't think it's, it's again, it's, it's dips versus cul de sacs. And I think you had mentioned something about that. Like, what am I, you know, I'm never going to be able to afford. A crazy awesome house here. So what am that, I? I'm just that was it. Paying I was rent. Looking, you know, looking forward. I was like, I I think that I do want a house at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. I don't know when, but I think I do want one. It's just that like, I can't see that even being slightly possible for what I want anytime soon here. And yeah. then as as soon as it was like, why does it have to be here? I was like, that's possible. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah, it could be somewhere else. So that was the sort of consideration for moving. I think the other thing is. Getting older, I think you and I have both realized that a lot of enjoyment can come in the things that we thought were boring when we were younger. When I was younger, I got it into my head that I needed to be this world-traveling digital nomad who was always going to a new country or always doing some crazy awesome thing. And if I wasn't doing that, then I would be like playing cool video games or, or doing really cool things in the city. And, you know, the idea of cooking dinner or the idea of just like working and building something or like having a garden or anything like that seems super boring. Yeah. But now I love woodworking and the fact that I can't do it here very easily is kind of bad. Like I don't like that I can't, I don't have a space to build things. And it was, it was really nice having that space back in Iowa. And now it's like, I really love cooking and I really like taking care of plants. And it turns out that there's all these things that when you kind of look past the superficial aspects of it, it seems boring. There's actually a lot of personal fulfillment because they involve building something or creating something or, you know, yeah, building a skill. And that's satisfying. And it can be fun and meditative. And so you don't need to live in a big city to do all those things. So we started looking and 
I suppose this this is like our initial episode where the research has been done. And I'm not sure how, how much research you've been doing. But the way that I started going about this was I just created an account on Zillow.com. And we've just been looking at what's available in the area that we want to potentially live in. And then we'll just heart things. So we're kind of like creating a little portfolio of houses. And we kind of know that because it is March right now, and our lease is not up for an entire year, probably none of the houses we're, we're favoriting right now are going to be on the market yeah. by the time we get to actually looking to buy. But what I think this does is it encourages us to consider multiple different houses because what I've heard from friends and people that I trust is that you can run into this pitfall where you tour one house, you decide that it is your quote-unquote dream house, and you get so attached to it that you will be irrationally um, insensitive to price or uh, you won't negotiate well or you won't be willing to walk away if there are serious structural problems or there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So I think the number one thing that I'm trying to keep in mind is that I have specific attributes that I'm looking for in a house, but there is no one perfect house for me. It doesn't exist. I think, and I think this is a useful thing to have in your brain for all things. There's no one perfect anything for you. Like yeah. I don't, I don't believe in soulmates. I don't think that there's a one perfect woman out there for me. I think that the relationship is forged between the choices of two people together, and the person that you're with becomes the perfect person for you, and you become the per- perfect person for them through your communication and through your dedication to each other. Yeah. And I think that you make a home the perfect home for you over time by finding something that is suitable and then working on it. You know, I don't think like a rabbit in the forest that's looking for shelter from a hawk is being too choosy. You know, that rock over there has too much moss on it, actually. I don't think that's going to, you know, hey, hey, hawk, give me a work second. with the give feng shui that I want. The housing over here is terrible. Just give me five minutes. I'll yeah. find a better spot. <sighs> that one over there has a banister that I really don't like. It's in the colonial style, and I was actually hoping colonial for a Victorian. <laughs> so, again, Mr. Hawk, please give me some time. I'm trying yeah. to find my dream hovel where I'm going to hide and hopefully not be eaten and torn to shreds. Yeah. No, they just will duck into the nearest thing. Uh, and I'm not telling you to duck into the nearest thing, oh, no. but I am telling you that uh, there is no perfect house. There is no dream house. Realtors are, it is their mission to make you believe that they have found your dream house and nothing else will do, but it is not true. This week's episode of our show is sponsored by Backblaze, which is both awesome but kind of bad at the same time. Awesome because we have great sponsors that help to support this show and help us get more episodes out to you guys every single week. But bad because the fact that Backblaze is sponsoring this episode means that there are some of you out there who do not currently have the data on your computer backed up, which is a really, really bad way to be living your life. Uh, so let me tell you another little story. If you heard my little story about uh, the girl who lost all of her data off of her computer last week, um, this week I'm going to tell you a story about me as a younger kid, as a naive kid, as somebody who thought that backing up my data on my computer meant copying the folder in my hard drive, making a folder on the same said hard drive, and calling it backups. I did that for all of my teenage years and actually some of my early college years as well because I had no idea what I was doing. I figured that backing up files from one place in the hard drive to another was totally adequate. And I guess when you think about it, 
that is sort of adequate if you happen to manually delete your files, but it is completely not gonna help you out at all if your computer catches on fire or if your hard drive crashes, which hard drives inevitably do at some point in their life cycle, or if somebody steals your computer, which can happen on college campuses, happens all the time. So eventually I got smart and I got myself cloud backup, which means my files are being backed up to the cloud, to servers that are redundantly backed up themselves, elsewhere, offsite, in secure buildings, and that is exactly what Backblaze does. Backblaze backs up all of your files on both Macs and PCs for just $5 per month, and that is unlimited backup for that 5 bucks per month. So that means all of your pictures, all of your videos, all of your projects that you have spent hours and hours and poured blood, sweat, and tears into building are completely backed up. So in the unfortunate but probable, if you look at the statistics, event that your computer somehow breaks, all the data is going to be saved and backed up for you. And the great thing is that when you need to restore a file with Backblaze, you can easily go into their web interface from anywhere in the world via their website or via their apps on your mobile phone and download the files you need, whether it's one file or all of your files. And in the event that you have a complete system failure, your computer catches on fire or something else horrible happens and you need your files really, really quickly, they can actually ship you a hard drive with everything on it overnight via FedEx. You can buy it and what's best, you can actually send that hard drive back to them and get a full refund. So it's a total win-win. So seriously, take this as a public service announcement as much as it is an ad on this show. If you are not currently backing up your computer files, you need to get on that as soon as possible. You never know when something is going to happen to your computer and when it does happen, whenever it is, it is always an inconvenient and unexpected time. So get your stuff backed up with Backblaze. Again, five bucks per month gets you completely unlimited backup for all of your pictures, all of your videos, all of your school projects, everything on your computer can be backed up and restored if you need it to be restored. So to get started, you can get a 15-day full-featured trial of their software and service by going over to backblaze.com CIG. And by going to that URL, you will also be showing them that you came from this show. Once again, backblaze.com CIG. And I want to give a huge thanks to Backblaze for sponsoring our show. Let's get back into it. Now you have some minimums, though. Exactly. Do you, you you working on attributes you want specifically? Yes. So, and I'm guessing you've done this too. Oh, uh, we have um, a shared note. We've been just throwing in like dream wish list items. There you go. Yeah, I have a note. Uh, so what I read, I can't remember where I read it, but somebody had written that it is good. You know, assuming you're going to buy a house with your significant other, it is good to separately come up with a list of things you want, and then mm-hmm. come together and show each other the lists, and then compare and contrast and then start to um, prioritize things that are most important versus least important. That's an interesting idea. Exactly. So let's see here. What did I put on mine? I don't even know if you have yours up that you can look at. Oh, I do. I stuck it in the notes for this. So I have uh, a things I really want and then a nice to haves. And I'm trying to really be critical about what, what's really important in my life versus what's, you know, would be kind of cool. Such as this apartment building has a pool. That is a nice to have because it turns out I almost never use it. And I almost never use the hot tub or the business center. Yeah, really. and if you buy anything with a pool, you're going to need to maintain that. Yeah. So, well, and you know, I think that the pool was like a, a big selling point of this building when we were touring it. I think that what you said about the average experience is so important to keep in mind because whenever you are thinking of making any purchase, whether it be a home or anything else, you tend to get super excited about all these aspects that if you really thought critically about it, 
you probably aren't going to use that often. Yeah. You know, like I'm going to pay 50 extra grand and I'm going to use this pool twice per year. Exactly. What's up? Like these cameras we bought for this podcast setup, they have like this amazing image stabilization technology that lets you, you know, hold it with smooth footage. And I could have gotten all excited about that, but you know, I had to think, what are these cameras going to be used for? They're going to sit on tripods and they are not going to move. And they're going to talk. Yeah. They're, they're, That's they're what all film. the bells and whistles are for. They're like to <laughs> yeah. trick you into ignoring the average experience and look really special. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's certainly they people are out cool. there that are going to use they those are really features. Cool, but and there, there's probably somebody in this building who loves the pool, and it's probably. like one of the best things. Oh yeah, about I saw affording. somebody trying to get in when it was technically closed. He mm-hmm. probably loves the pool. And one thing I do like about the pool is, in the warm months, I like to sit by it and read my book in the morning. But I almost never find myself swimming in it. You know, every once in a while in the warm months. But it's like a friggin' heated pool. We've never once used it in the winter. So that's that's a nice to have, yeah. not a need. Uh, so for my things that I want, um, I want really fast internet because okay, yeah, I, I know that's that true. because uh, I had an ex-girlfriend whose parents lived in a similar area to where we we're looking. And they happened to be on like this one street that the internet company just decided not to wire up with fiber or cable or whatever. So they were stuck on DSL. The forgotten in, like, ones. 2010. Yeah. So I knew that, okay, I need to make sure that this house has at least, you know, 100 megabit access, if not better, because we run an internet business. I need good internet to yeah. upload HD yeah, it's video. Yeah, not really a luxury. Um, I would love to have a wood-burning fireplace. That'd be cool. I just, I love chopping firewood. I love building a fire. There's just something about that. And that is actually going to limit us. So that, we'll see how how much we care about that as we start looking because a lot of new construction they put gas fireplaces in houses yeah really nobody's building actual chimney based really like wood burning fireplaces anymore in new construction so it's going to mean if we really want that we're going to have to find a older house but that is okay because another thing that i really want is a neighborhood with trees and a little bit of age to it and yeah. You probably know why. Yes. Because we lived in a, a rental house back in Iowa, but it was in a brand new housing development where, you know, like everything to the west of us was basically dirt for the first yeah, few construction months. Construction. And, and construction. And the trees were all little saplings. And I'm sure, you know, it'll probably be beautiful. You Someday. Give it, give it 10, 20 years. I don't want to wait that long. Yeah. I want trees. Yeah. It, it felt very barren and uh, devoid of character. So I, I would actually be okay with an older house as long as it doesn't have a whole lot of structural problems and fixes that are needed because it's likely to be in a neighborhood that has older trees and a lot more character. And I want to be able to take walks and see interesting things. That's one thing that I love about being in Denver is that there is a lot to see around here. Yeah. You know, and being on the north end of a town in Iowa where there's just nothing but cornfields and nothing, like nothing to go to for more than a mile. Yeah. It just feels a little... That was... See, a little isolated. That was too isolated. Yeah. Too far. You know, I think this is another defense for renting for a while. You start to realize what you like and what you don't like. And I don't think you... Again, the average experience. You don't know what your average experience is and how you like it or don't like it until you live it for a while. Yeah. And, you know, you could be way Mm -hmm. different in Mm -hmm. a few years. Five years ago, my life was so different from now that I could not have possibly predicted the half of this. 
Do you remember how excited we were about that house when we still lived? Oh, the I was. That, it was a nice house. I was really excited, and it, it was it a really was, nice house. And I was, I was I still really it. excited. It's just that the neighborhood didn't have any character to mm-hmm. it, really, because it was too new. Yeah. So I think that you know we were focused on the things we didn't like about the apartment back in Ames, like yeah, you know, really loud, drunk neighbors all the time, and I still don't like that. Yeah. So that will be another plus of owning a home. No. Uh, loud neighbors, uh, but we didn't focus on the things that the neighborhood that we were moving to had that we wouldn't like because, again, we hadn't lived in a neighborhood like that, so you don't have that kind of experience. Yeah, that's kind of a good point. We, you, you don't just compare to the last thing that you did because if you, if you fix mm-hmm. the last problem and then run into a different one and then fix that one, you forget about the first problem. Like how many rounds do you got to go through? Exactly, yeah. So I think at this point, you know, we've we've lived in several different places, having rented in many different types of living situations. There's a better picture of what we want. So I think there's less of a chance of uh, of regret. But and I think there's also less of a chance because we're being deliberate about writing these things down. Yeah. Um, another thing that I definitely want is a garage with enough space for like a woodworking bench, because I'd like to build things out of wood and I want space to work on things like that. Uh. Ideally, I would like to be able to live close to you guys. That'd be convenient. You guys are like my best friends. And I I think one thing that uh, people don't think about is the distance between their, their really good friends that they put, uh, you know, they put that distance between the people they want to hang out with because they are very enamored with material things like having a bigger house. And, you know, one thing that I've learned about adulthood is it becomes much more difficult to have a lot of quality time with your good friends. Yeah, you, you don't just cohabitate. You don't just, like, hang out together all day long, ignoring yeah. each other, sometimes going out to get food. you got to, like, set up weird adult friend dates. You mm-hmm. get, would you like to hang out on Friday night? Are you doing anything? Because otherwise you don't get to see anybody. And, yeah, the dynamic really changes. It's weird. when we were all roommates, it was a situation where we were kind of hanging out, but everyone was sort of doing their own thing. And then we would obviously do things together as well. But there was just that... That time spent in the presence of each other, but kind of doing your own thing, which I personally enjoy having. Uh, and I think a lot of people do enjoy it and don't realize they enjoy it. When I was at the Standard Broadcast office in New York City last week, there was a little lull where we were waiting to go to this um, Star Talk Live thing. So we were just all sitting in the office working, kind of doing our own thing. And Dave, the guy who owns Standard, just like kind of puts his head up after a while. And he's like, you know what? This is really nice. Like, it kind of feels like just a big family. Everyone's just, like, sitting there doing their own thing. But I'm not, like, alone in the office by myself, actually isolated. And you sort of lose that when you move off and get your job and get your house and sort of settle down. Because now there's, like, this expectation that if you're going to hang out with your friends, it has to be some structured thing. And you have to play Balderdash or some weird board game or whatever. I don't know. Well, like, and maybe you left your dorm room unlocked most of the day for people through the hall to just come in. We hang left out. the door just open but all the like, time. But, like, I wouldn't do that in a house or, like, this apartment complex. I'm yeah. not just going to leave my door open all the time. People open the door and then think yep. we're their friends, and they're <laughs> clearly intoxicated, and so, they seem to have injured their leg. I don't know them. Don't. What are you doing? I wouldn't leave the door but open. But he loves you guys. <laughs> Something like that. He did say it. But, like, I, I just I wouldn't leave... I wouldn't leave doors unlocked. People can't mm-hmm. come over without warning me. Yeah. So, I mean, this is why sometimes I'm like, hey, you guys want to come over and, like, work on your stuff here? It's just because I miss that sort of interaction. So 
I would like to not be too close or not too far away from you guys. And we have a lot of good friends back in Iowa and I'd like to live somewhat near them. So it's not like a whole ordeal to go see them. Yeah. You know, I just, I think connection with other human beings is something that we devalue in favor of consumerism. And it's something you have to be deliberate against uh, letting yourself slip into. Yeah, it turns out that all the amenities and fancy restaurants in the world aren't as pleasing to me as simply being around friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, actually, as, as silly of a movie it is, as it is, the Lego Batman movie hits on that pretty well. Oh, yeah, I still need to see that. Because he's just, obviously, he's like this billionaire. But, I mean, obviously, it's, it's humorous in the movie, but there's this whole focus on he's just this guy who's, like, alone in a gigantic mansion on an island, and all he has is Alfred, and he's constantly you know, ignoring these feelings of wanting a family. Like that's basically the whole point of the movie is that Batman needs to feel like he has a family, but he's ignoring it. Oh, so no. it's pretty deep, man. It's <laughs> sounds pretty deep. Uh, okay. So other things I have in here, ideally I'd like to live close ish to downtown because all the cool okay. things are downtown. Still relatively know. close to cool, fancy things. Yeah. You know, like right now we're like, a, I don't know, 20, 15, even maybe 10 minute drive, depending on traffic to downtown. That's cool because there are really cool things downtown. And it's the same story in Des Moines. Most of the cool coffee shops, a lot of the cool restaurants, they're downtown. And I don't want to be like a half hour drive away from them. Yeah. Uh, Close proximity to a park. I like parks. So my main priority with where I selected to move here in Denver was I wanted to be like in the middle of everything, have walking access to a coffee shop, walking access to a grocery store, walking access to a park. I've realized that you can't have everything you want and you can't have a sizable house with room for woodworking and also be right next to a coffee shop and park. Oh no, that would be weird for you to have a big house that close to stuff. You, it can be done. Um, my friend Chase Reeves, specifically has a house in Portland that has enough room for all that stuff and is close to a lot oh, of those they things. have those districts close enough to each other yeah he he lives in like a it, it, I would call it like a unicorn area there are very few areas in Portland that I could think of that have that but he just happens to live in this big old house that is like two blocks away from this street that recently in the last 10 years got a ton of development oh, it, a ton got, of it got hipster changed. coffee okay, shops and restaurants. yeah usually they're like sectioned off into yeah. like business and residential exactly and if you look at a map of portland most of it is like that he just happens to be in this nice perfect little area where he can walk so to if this that's if that's your place. number one priority you can make it happen apparently exactly but you know in iowa i don't think there are a whole lot of places like that um a lot of the houses that would be close to stuff like that are really old and i don't want to have to put that much work into renovating them because it's very expensive so i just chose that I at least want proximity to a park because I want a place that I could walk to and, you know, go play football or play Frisbee or or have a grill out or do something fun. Yeah. And, you know, we could do it in a backyard, but I like having a park. And there is, and we'll put it in the show notes, um, a radius calculator that somebody built where you can put a pin on a map. And I think it uses the Google Maps API. And then you can say, I want to see a circle with a radius of X miles from this spot. That's cool. So what I've started doing is, and unfortunately you can only put one pin at a time, I believe. So what I've started doing is putting a pin and being like, all right, I think one mile is like a good walking radius. And then I can define what's a biking radius. And then I'll like find all the grocery stores, all the coffee shops and all the parks, put a pin there, 
create radius circles, and then eventually I'm going to create this like master document in Photoshop where every layer is slightly transparent so I can see all the radiuses and circles overlapping and then start to be like, all right, in this band, there is one mile access to a coffee shop and a park. Maybe let's look there and see what sort of housing opportunities are there. That's cool. So that's my little strategy that I'm going to probably do for... Yeah, uh, that sounds like a really good tool, actually. Yeah, and i got to remember to actually put it in the show notes because I don't think we have sent it to our show notes guy. Uh, no HOA is on there. So an HOA is a homeowners oh, association. Yep. Now, these can be a crapshoot. They can be good sometimes, but they can also be bad because... When you buy a house, sometimes you you get it in a neighborhood where you have to pay an HOA fee. Sometimes, and I've actually heard of HOA fees that could be like more than your mortgage in some crazy neighborhoods. But there's also like a covenant with the HOA where you got to have your lawn clipped to a specific thing and you can't have your garage door open for more than 10 minutes at a time. Or there's like all these restrictive rules. And my thing is, if I'm going to buy a house, this is my property. And I'm not going to have a bunch of old ladies who are on an HOA and have nothing better to do but nitpick the state of my house telling me what to do. It's my place. So I would prefer to not be in a neighborhood where there are those restrictive rules. That that seems reasonable. Yeah. And obviously I'm not going to go beyond the HOA committee because I got things to do. You know, I got a business to run and I have friends to hang out with. So I don't want to have to be a voting member on that. And I don't want to put myself at the mercy of a bunch of people who have nothing better to do with their day but nitpick the state of my lawn. Well, it really does seem like kind of the point of buying a place, you know, is that yeah. it's your place. It's and yours. That you have your independence. That that seems like part of the appeal to mm-hmm. me. And it's and rules like that would kind of take some of it away. Now, you know, one thing people are going to have to learn is when you buy a house, there is a sort of social contract with your neighbors that you enter into, no matter whether or not there's an HOA. Oh. Because... Oh. Uh, if you paint your house polka dot purple and green, you are going to make then the property cool. values of every other house in that neighborhood go down because go, nobody wants to move into the neighborhood with the weird. Okay, maybe yeah. <laughs> I think I, you're I would confused to, about how cool that is. I would love to make these jokes, and it is a pretty cool house. But uh, you're most right. Nobody's normal, gonna like it. Everyone's normal and boring. Unless these days. you can get everybody on in that neighborhood to do it, because then maybe it would go up because it's a coordinated. Well, there are cool neighborhoods. There are cool neighborhoods with like crazy yeah. color schemes. I've seen them, uh, especially in like coastal towns in, in South Convince Carolina. your neighbors first. I've never seen polka dot houses, but I've seen neighborhoods in like um, Charleston where the houses are a bunch of really cool, vibrant colors. But most neighborhoods like to stick to your beige and grays and navy blues and, you know, your muted, warming, inviting neighborhoody colors where you can That's raise your family and have your white picket fence or whatever. So you can't paint your house a weird color. I guess. So, yeah, there's going to be things that, like, you can't literally do whatever you want unless you go move into the country. And people who live in rural areas, that's part of the reason why they do it. So they can do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm probably not going to move into a rural area, given that I want to be closer to downtown. So I will enter into the informal social contract with my neighbors, but I don't want somebody coming over and measuring my grass with a stick or, you know, a yardstick or being like, your garage has been open for 15 minutes. That's a violation. Somebody in our last neighborhood thought we were a party house when we are like the furthest (laughs) possible thing from that. So there, there's a perfect example. We weren't even like, we didn't have any agreements with anybody. They were just like, could you go talk to them? I think they're a party house. Yeah. Let's interrupt their life when it turns. And then he, 
the guy comes inside and he's like, you guys are boring. <laughs> yep, we're good here. Is that a houseplant? <laughs> Is that a tastefully decorated living room right there? Okay, I'm leaving. I've seen enough. <laughs> this this neighbor wasted you my disgust time. disgust me. <laughs> uh, okay, and then there's one more that I have on my list, and I'm sure my list will expand. But the last thing is a south-facing back of the house. Mm-hmm. So this is something that very people specific. do not think about very often. But there is uh, there are better directions for your house to face than others. So if you have an east-west-facing house, usually most of the windows in a house are built onto the front and back, and most of them are on the back. So if you have an east-west-facing house, then the back of your house is just going to get blasted by the sun oh, when you, it's either rising or lowering. You wouldn't be describing the blinding hour that I experience exactly. every afternoon here. Every <laughs> afternoon, because we have a west-facing you have, apartment. You have to close the blinds so you can't do anything. Yep. Uh, if you have a south-facing house, at least from the research that I've done so far, then that, that kind of gives you like the best of both, of both worlds. Um, I don't know why a north-facing house hasn't yeah, been mentioned. I guess mentioned. I don't, I don't so know by that logic, but maybe more, there's something. More research is we'll to be done. Out. And let me give this tip to everybody listening to this. So what I've done is I have in Evernote a whole notebook called House Buying. And I have the things I want list. And then I have a bunch of just links to things I've read. So I have a thread in here called Old House versus New House. And I have links to two different uh, forum threads on citydata.com. And it's just people debating back and forth. uh, What are the benefits of going with new construction versus old construction? Well, old houses... Uh, tend to be built with better materials, more solid woods, things like that. New construction houses tend to be built more cheaply. But on the other hand, new construction uses newer construction techniques, so they might be better suited to environmental standards. They are clearly oh, yeah. going to be better insulated and have cheaper heating and cooling costs. Um, and an old house may have a lot of problems because it's really old, so you don't know what the foundation's doing or if there's a bunch of structural details you're going to have to fix. Um this is the thing. Like, I want to be an informed buyer, and this is probably going to be the most expensive purchase I ever make in my life, unless I ever have children, and then even then it's debatable. So I want to know exactly what I'm getting myself into, and because I'm not an expert, I'm just doing as much reading as I can. Uh, let's see here. I have a general considerations note. So anything, uh, anything that like comes up in research that I'm like, I need to remember that. I put that there. So one thing. I only have one thing in here right now, but it says. It's best to live east of your workplace so you're traveling west in the morning and east in the afternoon. Uh, Otherwise, you are going to commute to and from work with the sun glaring into oh, your eyes I for the rest of your life. I that happens here. Yeah. Oh, these see, these are good ideas. But I, you would I never think of that when yet. you're buying. I haven't gone that deep. That's a good point. This yeah. is, it's a ver- there are so many variables. Mm-hmm. To not do this much research for such a crazily expensive thing. Yeah, and that's Bad why idea. I think it's fine to have like a series with multiple episodes on no, the this show. This is going to take a lot of thought. Like I can't, I can't figure this out in a day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, again, you and I don't have a commute, so we don't have to worry about that. But if we were to have full time commutes, I would probably be looking east of the downtown area if we were working in the downtown area. Yeah, you know. And hey, maybe if we're like, oh, what if we want to get an office space somewhere? If that's close to downtown, maybe we should go east. I don't know. You know, and there's always there's always ways around that. Like you could say, all right, I'm just going to wake up at 6 a.m. and go to work early and I'm going to get a gym membership downtown. So I'll drive to work in the dark and do my workout there and then come home early and I can skip the sun. You know, you're fine. 
Yeah. So obviously, it's not like there's no way around that if you want to live west no, it, of the workplace. It work doesn't place. ruin your life. Obviously, people yeah. manage to get to work somehow with exactly. that bright sun. It just it just so happens that nice you're bonus. going to you're going to tour houses in a specific frame of mind and at a specific time of day, and you're going to buy your house at a specific time of day, and that is not reflective of every single moment, which that is what your house yeah, is going to. You don't provide. usually get to just hang out there for a while and mm-hmm. see what it's like unless it turns unless you are renting it and then you buy it. Yeah. But that's not like I don't know that that's what we're planning to do. Well, so. yeah. And I've also read that you should uh, you know if you have your eye on a specific neighborhood, um, go ask people what it's like. And I've read advice saying that renters are usually more honest than homeowners because homeowners mm-hmm. might want you to move into the neighborhood so that you can bump up property values by you know, buying a house for a lot more money than it was initially bought for. Whereas a renter does not care. So a renter might huh. be like, yeah, that guy three doors down just pees on his lawn every morning. So, and yet his lawn is the most beautiful of all of our lawns. Well, he's eating something, right? He's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> What's that guy eating? I'm going to change my diet up. Uh, but yeah, or, or go to the, go to the neighborhood at night a few times so you can see how loud it is at night. Because what if there's some crazy guy who just practices drums in his garage at midnight? You don't know when you're touring the house during the day. Oh, that would be such a terrible thing to find out right after you, like, signed everything. You sleep there the first night, and then, oh, no, 30 years are coming. Yeah, there are horror stories on Reddit that I've read. Like, Actually, I think there was a whole Reddit thread that was like, what uh, is your biggest regret regarding your home purchase. Oh man, I should read that. And somebody was like, yeah, not one night after we moved into our new house did we realize that our neighbor next door was absolutely insane and <laughs> would just let his dog like poop all over our lawn and was totally belligerent and hostile. And obviously we can't do anything about it. And I'm like, oh yeah, that would be horrible. I would love to avoid that wow. as much as I possibly can. They should look into a fence. If, and they you know, <laughs> I prefer bazooka turrets. They're yes, they're automated ones. Wow, that would be a stupid weapon. That's cool. That would be a really stupid <laughs> weapon. <laughs> I'm just gonna have an army of drones flying yeah. around my house at all times. But yeah, so I've got that. Uh, oh yeah, there was like this whole uh, window direction article that I saved into my my little Evernote thing. I have a bunch of I have a whole Reddit threads and other resources note. So there's just all these different Reddit threads. There's a bunch of really good ones in the uh, personal finance subreddit. So there's one like, what, what advice would you give to a first-time home buyer? Is there a beginner guide to purchasing a house? Like, there's all kinds of stuff. There's also this site called michaelbluejay.com slash house. And if I'm thinking of the right one, yes. Uh, this website looks like it was built in the 1990s because it was. It's not very up-to-date looking, but it is a very comprehensive resource on how to buy a house. Um, and I actually bought the Home Buying for Dummies audiobook on Audible. Oh, it's yeah? like a two and a half hour audiobook. I don't know if they just massively abridged it or something, but I think there's actually more detail on this guy's random 90s looking website than there was in that book that I paid money for. Wow. So, you know, and all good stuff comes again, from the 90s, Tom. Again, you are making a multi hundred thousand dollar purchase here so i don't think 26 dollars spent on a dummies book is really going to be that much of a waste of money if it you know helps you negotiate better or find a better agent or find a better inspector that could potentially save you thousands of dollars but there's a lot of really good information on the internet too yeah uh so those are the things i want what are some of the things that you wanted uh the very most important thing is a, a tree in my yard yeah i want to be able to read a book 
by a tree and have a garden and like all this like peaceful plant kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I need a tree. I have to have one. Um, let's see. I, I also want a fireplace. I'm less specific about a uh, wood burning one, although that would be really cool. I just assumed that it would be one of the f- less plausible things, depending on what neighborhoods I was looking in. Yeah. But it would be really nice because I also would like to chop wood and stuff. The only reason I have it in my things and not my my nice to have things is because the areas we've been looking in where there are trees oh, in the neighborhood, do, do we've seen houses that do oh, have real fireplaces. Okay, okay, that's so cool. Yeah, it I'm seems staying plausible. A, I'm staying in an Airbnb in Portland where they have a wood burning stove like my grandpa has, mm-hmm. and you can like do it yourself, and it's gonna be the yeah. I love that kind of thing. My grandparents are farmers. I love this kind of peaceful, calm life. I just want to be able to go downtown occasionally. Yeah. Well, there's something uh, about building a fire yourself and there's something about the actual warmth it gives off and the actual smell. And it, yeah, it's not for everyone, but it's something that I like. Uh, the one thing, and I'll, I'll, I do want to hear the rest of your things, but while we're on the note of fireplaces in my research, I found that there's a company called uh, race. It's like, it's R A I S and they sell, several different models of these efficient like wood burning stoves that do have a pretty wide viewable front. Yeah. So if you didn't have a built-in fireplace, which costs tens of thousands of dollars to add to your house because you need to do the structural, um, you have to like improve the structure and the foundation to s- deal with the weight of all that masonry. And then you got to build that masonry or you can just put in this efficient wood burning stove yeah, and still get many like, benefits. Like my grandpa's got a wood burning stove and there's the kind, I don't know what kind of wood it is, but it like burns clean. He just opens it up. There's no smoke. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this is the coolest thing you could have yeah. in a house. But um, I've also got, this one, This isn't really a house feature. I just want to get a like an acoustic piano. I want to get a nice, a, a grand if possible, grand, but right? an upright if I needed. So wait, your piano right now, is that electric? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it just looks it's a, it doesn't it's look a like a really high quality keyboard. one, gotcha. but I'm also only renting it technically. Yeah. And I love it and I'm going to keep renting it for now because I want to buy a crazy piano, but mm-hmm. I didn't. Also, I'm not going to do that in my one bedroom apartment. I'm not getting a grand piano in there. That's going to be the worst <laughs> use of space. I think you and I want to to go deeper into music. Yeah. You know, I just with extra bedrooms comes the ability to build like a real recording well, studio. I want to buy a piano. And the thing is you have that for a long time, mm-hmm. just like a house. It is also a big investment. So that may be another thing that actually appreciates in value. I'm not sure. I mean, but if I you don't see mess it up piano. and it's a good style, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I would like, this isn't necessary, but I think kitchen islands are nice. I like having a lot of counter mm. space. I would like yes. to have big sinks because mm-hmm. if I want to hand wash my pans, sometimes it's really obnoxious because it's too too big for the sink here. Yeah. So I'll be like trying to rinse it out and then I'll spill water all over the counter. Yep. And I would like good sinks for that. And uh, Can I make a note on that idea wow. for, for a quick second? Here? Yeah. Um, a sink is something that you can replace yeah. quite cheaply. I mean, it's not cheap, but it is relatively cheap. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these things are things you could renovate. Yeah. So I guess one thing that I want to I want to put out there to anybody listening to this is uh, when you are shown a house, the realtor is going to focus on things like the beautiful new carpet or the beautiful colors of the walls or the amazing countertops and cabinetry in the kitchen. Um, what you are looking for in a house is your location, the structural uh, sound construction of it. You want to make sure that there aren't big problems that are going to be f- yeah. having to fix down the road. And then all the cosmetic stuff, like the type of sink that is currently in the kitchen, 
that can be renovated later. Now, obviously you have to think about what's the cost of renovation likely to be and what does that tack on to the purchase price that they're asking for in this house? Yeah. And can I afford that? But it, you know, with, especially with like walls and carpets, those are cheap to replace. You know, if, if you are looking at a house that is structurally sound, it's in a good location, but it has awful grandma wallpaper from the 1920s and horrible, like topaz carpet that's all matted down with stains. And that's the only problem. Buy that house, negotiate the price down and then rip that carpet out and put in some wood flooring. Yeah. There's probably beautiful wood flooring underneath it anyway that you could just polish up. Yeah, and that, that, that's really the thing about my list, though, is that so far it's just a list meant to get me really excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the only other thing is that I want it to be near water of some form, a pond, mm. a stream. Some, like how close? Like walking distance to? Potentially. Okay. Potentially, if not biking distance. So like a park distance, with water Like would be a park nice. with water would be just fine. Yeah. Well, the one thing about Denver would also be okay. Denver really has not much in the way of water. I guess we have the reservoir. We were pretty close to a lot of ponds back in Ankeny. We were. And also, the nice thing about Des Moines is you have pretty close access to Sailorville Lake, which is huge. Yeah. So, and there's a whole bike trail around it. I think it's going to be really easy to handle that Mm -hmm. that desire. I just realized the other day that I like, I was sitting on this bench kind of just staring at at a creek and I was like, I really like just looking at areas around water and just hanging out, you know? Yeah. That's something I want in an average day. It seems really dumb and boring, mm-hmm. but I would like that to be part of my life. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I have a couple of other things on my list here that I want to cover before we wrap up. So I think we've sort of hammered away at this point, but I do want to say it explicitly. Don't rush into buying your own home. Um, we actually have a mutual friend and I will not name names cause I don't, I don't know if they care, but we have a mutual friend who bought a house pretty quickly out of college. Didn't really didn't move out of the area that they went to college in and grew up in and now sort of regrets it. Yeah. Because they were like, well, actually I didn't really get the experience of living in a new city and now we're wondering about that. Yeah. So and I'm not saying that you have to go move to a different city, but don't rush into this decision because when you buy, you tie yourself down. And if the housing market takes a downturn, then even if you were able to sell your place, you're not going to be able to sell it for enough money to cover that mortgage. So now you're repaying the mortgage for nothing. Um, and even if it does happen to be a good seller's market, the housing prices are up. You got to find somebody who wants to buy your house for the price that you're wanting to sell it for. That's tough. With an apartment, you move out. Yeah. You know? And uh, there are some apartments where they have what's called a buyout clause. Um, I've seen apartments where if you, so basically like you sign a lease when you have an apartment yeah. and you are sort of basically on the hook to pay that lease until you are done with it. But I've seen some contracts with apartments that have a buyout clause where it's like, if you want to leave, you can leave and get out of your lease by paying us two months more rent instead of paying the rest of the contract. Uh, or I think the, the Ankeny house that we lived in, the buyout clause was we would have to pay 20% of the remaining lease value. So we wouldn't have had to pay all the rent. If we wanted to leave early, we would just have to pay one-fifth of that. So not bad, right? Yeah. You know, obviously, there's a, there's a price for leaving early, but it is doable, and it's probably not going to financially ruin you. Whereas if you get a house, like you could be stuck. Uh, my friend Matt Giovanisi, very, very good example he wanted to move from New Jersey out of his condo to Boulder. He did, but he was never able to sell it. 
So he still owns his place back in Jersey, and luckily now he has a tenant who pays rent that covers the entire mortgage. But while he was the host of Listen Money Matters, um, I think he had a tenant, but he wasn't able to rent it for enough to actually cover the mortgage. So every single month he was paying 150 bucks on something he wasn't even that, doing yeah, anything with. Literally just throwing it away because he couldn't sell it. It was in a bad area. Nobody wanted to buy it. So you got to be prepared for that possibility if you think you want to leave your house. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is I wanted to briefly go over what it takes to afford a house. So people are going to go on to Zillow after listening to this episode, and they're going to look at the homes, and they're going to think, okay, down payment aside, I know I'm going to have to figure out how to do that, but I'm seeing this mortgage calculator here, and it's saying that this – $300,000 house is only going to be like $1,200 a month for the mortgage. Man, I'm paying more for that for my one-bedroom apartment in Seattle. I'm going to get that. The mortgage is not the only expense, and you have to keep this in mind. So there are like cost of living and how much house can I afford calculators. There's one on nerdwallet.com. Though I don't really like nerdwallet's how much house can I afford calculator because it doesn't give you the option of like of saying your down payment is going to be 20%. It just like takes into account your debts, your income, and then like tells you exactly how much you could afford. Mm. But it doesn't say like, it doesn't give you the option to be like, all right, give me only a house that is, you know, uh, representative of this 20% down payment I want to make. And we'll get to that in a second. But you have the mortgage. You also have property taxes, which can be a lot of money. Um, I'm trying to remember how much it was going to be. I can't give exact numbers because it's, it's always a percentage, but the property taxes in Iowa are quite a bit higher than they are in Denver. So I'm totally pulling these numbers out of my butt right now. But uh, for like a $300,000 house, I think it was like $165 a month property taxes here in Denver. But back in Iowa, it would be like $400 a month. So $1,200 mortgage plus an extra $400 in property taxes plus any money that you're going to be spending on renovations or improvements because at this point you are responsible for everything which is a good and bad thing it's a good thing because you have control yeah you want to knock down a wall and renovate your kitchen you can do it but you also have to fix everything the the sump pump back up you're on the hook for that you got to fill the water softener with more salt you're buying that so um I'm trying to remember, there, there's actually this whole rental property expense calculator that Andrew built for the Listen Money Matters audience. And that was built for people who wanted to buy rental properties and then rent them out to tenants as an investment. But uh, I think this is also useful for anybody looking to live in a house. Looking at profitability, there's always like this 5% built in for break fix. And then I think there's also a 5% built in for long-term break fix. So basically, he's that means whatever you are able to charge for rent, you need to take 10% of that and save it just for light bulbs going out, toilets backing up. Eventually, someday, the roof needing to be replaced. Like, you are on the hook for all of these things. So, and you mean, you're kind of on the hook for them when you're renting. It's just those costs are hidden from you. They're built into your rent. And they're yeah. spread across many, many people. This building has one roof, but hundreds of tenants. So if they, for some reason, need to fix a hole from a meteor in the roof, 
they can spread that cost out amongst many, many tenants. And they probably have a whole fund of money saved up for that. And in fact, this this building is owned by the biggest apartment company in the I'm entire sure country. Got quite the fund. So I'm sure they problems. have, yeah, they have a lot of funds and a lot of insurance built up to deal with things like that and spread the cost around. If you own a house, that roof is yours to deal with. So you got to save some money for that. Um, so do your research on all of the expenses that are going to be involved with building a house. And keep in mind that a lot of people, once they get their own place, they start getting all these ideas of improvements they want to make that costs money. So, you know, if you're paying 1600 bucks a month in rent, don't go get yourself a $1,600 per month mortgage because you're going to be paying more than that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about briefly, we will cover this more in detail in a future episode once we kind of cross this bridge, but there are first time home buyer programs and these are created by state governments uh, with the express intent to help people who are younger own homes. Yay. So normally, as we said earlier, there's this whole 20% down payment requirement. Um, but you can actually pay less than 20%. The downside to paying less than 20% is you also have to pay something called private mortgage insurance. And this is basically insurance that the lender requires you have just in case you say pay 3% down on a house, which could be like 5,000 bucks, and then decide, I don't want to work anymore. And, you know, then your lender is stuck with that, that, you know, piece of property that isn't paid off. Yeah. That could be a huge loss. So you are paying private mortgage insurance, which goes into a giant fund, which would compensate a lender in the event that you default on your mortgage. Um, if you pay more than 20% down, now you have a bunch of skin in the game and you're probably not going to default on your mortgage because you have a large chunk of your net worth tied up in the house. If you're paying 3% down, you could walk away and not care. That's why you got to pay it. So uh, that nerd wallet calculator and many other calculators online will tell you the approximate PMI that you would have to pay if you were to pay less than 20% down. Um, now, there, the problem with PMI, and we usually advise against having PMI on my other podcast, is that in the past, and I believe this was before 2013, the moment you hit 20% equity in your house, PMI would go away. But the rules have changed since then. So now, uh, I believe that if you put 10% down or more, then the PMI is going to be a little bit less than if it's less than 10%. And you can also opt to get rid of it after, I think, 10 years, assuming you have 20% in, uh, equity. If you put down less than 10%, so say the minimum, which is three, you are stuck with that PMI forever. And it's also a bit higher percentage. So say you only go into your house buying adventure with like 10K in the bank and you want a $200,000 house, that is only 5% down. So you're gonna be stuck paying PMI forever. So we usually advise against PMI on my other podcast because we've always viewed it as like money down the toilet. You could have just waited until you had enough money for that down payment. But I've actually been trying to rethink that and I still don't have a solid opinion yet. And I think this is gonna be something that we actually come to in a realistic sense when we're starting to look at our own places, does it make sense to pay PMI versus continuing to rent? And, you know, wh where's like the break-even math point on that? I yeah. don't know, you know, because depending on how much money you have saved up and what you want to do with that money, 
that's going to, you know, and what kind of house you want, that is going to determine whether or not you would have to take on BMI to get the house. And is it worth it to you? That would be just another expense, which you might be essentially paying in rent. So I guess the question is, if you could buy a place that is better than what you could rent in the same area and pay less, even after PMI is added in, maybe that's worth it to you. Maybe you just consider that part of the deal. I don't know, but it is something that needs to be considered. Yeah. The last consideration, and this is some, some rules that I've set for myself. Um, I do not want to be house poor. I do not want to part with a huge percentage of my net worth in order to get a house. And a lot of people fall into this trap where they will save up a ton of money and then they will use that for a down payment. But now they have very little in the way of an emergency fund, very little in the way of investments. So my rules for myself is that my down payment should represent no more than one third of my net worth. Um, and I will also still have $25,000 liquid after my down payment and closing costs. So this is, this is my goal. Um, this is based on my own financial situation. And I think a lot of people may not have that same kind of situation. I think maybe 25K would be a little much to want afterwards, but that is like a representation of what I've been able to build up in investments and what I would want to part with or not part with. Uh, but this comes from talking with Andrew, who is my co-host, Listen Money Matters. And... I definitely consider him a mentor in this area because he owns a place. And so I asked him, I was like, Andrew, when you bought your place, what uh, the down payment, what did the down payment and the closing costs represent in terms of you parting with your net worth? And I think he told me that it was about one third of his net worth was parted with for that down payment. So I was like, okay, if Andrew can do that, I can do that. I don't want to be parting with more than that of my net worth if possible. You know, and that's going to mean either I have to work incredibly hard to increase my net worth uh, to a proportionate level where I can get the exact house I want, or I'm going to have to work within my budget that I've set for myself and get a house that I can afford. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to buy a house above your means and then mm -hmm. you're yeah. on the hook for that forever. So yeah. hopefully you can keep paying it and there's no problems ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the nice things about renting is. Uh, you know, it costs money to rent, but there was no down payment. So I've been able to build up a significant savings. Well, like, and if you, if you make a lot of money and you lose a job and you find it hard to make a lot of money again, mm -hmm. when you're renting, it doesn't matter. You just rent a cheaper place now with the house. Now you've got to figure out how to sell the house. You've got to exactly. or figure out how to suddenly make enough money to keep paying things. Yeah. I mean, my thing for anybody, my, my, my main priority when I'm giving out any sort of like financial guidance is... I want you to be able to take a hit. And while a house is an appreciating asset, so you can consider it an asset, it is not liquid. And you shouldn't rely on it if you have to recover from a hit. Yeah. Um, you could sell it, maybe, but that's very difficult, uncertain, and takes a lot of time. So if you sustain an injury or you lose your job or something bad happens, you need to have liquid cash available that you can pull and you need to have resources that you can divert to the problem to make it go away. So that I think is the number one financial goal for anybody listening to this podcast. I think we covered that pretty well in our, um, our budgeting episode. You need to be able to take a hit. That's why I don't recommend debt acceleration until you have at least two times your monthly spend in your checking account plus $500 for an emergency fund. Because it, what if your 
tires pop or something. Yeah. Great. I paid off all my student loans, but now I have no money to fix my car. So I'm now maxing my credit card. And now I have a triple investment or no triple um, interest rate that I had on my student loans to pay off this credit card. Well, that's not a good situation. So do not let yourself become house poor. There's also a general rule of thumb that uh, only 30% of your of your gross income per month before taxes should be spent on housing expenses. So if you make, I don't know, $5,000 a month before tax, then there is like 30% of that should be what your house costs or less. If it's more, then you're starting to get to that point where a lot of money is going to your housing. There's not much left over for savings and general expenses. I don't know, food. And yeah, I like to eat. One of those things. <laughs> so... Remember the average everyday experience. You don't need 15 bedrooms and a pool to be happy. You just need, well, I don't know what you need. Well, food. You got to figure out what <laughs> you, you do need food, shelter, water, and, you know, not to be yeah, eaten by I mean, a hawk. Like not, not everybody has farmer grandparents and who wants to read books by a tree. You know, some people think books are dumb and for nerds. Well, Maybe they're right. I don't know. Some of us just like to read, as Lady know. Gaga once said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and, you know, we, we can't sit here telling you what your average experience is like. I don't know. But what I do want uh, you to think about is building self-awareness and starting to deliberately pay attention to what your average experience is like and what on a daily basis makes you happy. You know, and what level of consumerism is required for that? There are all those studies out there that like $75,000 is the threshold and you don't, money doesn't make you uh, any yeah, happier after, after that. that. Help, I'm sure yeah. it's changed ever since then because I think, I think that was like Peter Singer. Well, and now you got to like get to a million. You got to get a million dollars. Got to have a million. You and know? then you got to get a couple billion more <laughs> and it just keeps making you happier. Yeah, man. Forever. It's like a, it's a dip. Yeah. It just never stops. If you can't be in the 1%, what's the point? That's not what true. What is the point? That's not true. I love it. No, I want to be a fat cat. You could be a fat cat. Smoke all the Cubans, drink 500-year-old scotch, and own my own Gulf Stream, fleet of Gulf Streams. I want to have 15 Gulf Streams in the air in formation so nobody even, knows which one I'm in. I don't know what that means. A Gulf Stream is a private jet. It sounds like a stream in the Gulf. Clearly, it's you're not enough of a baller badly to even named. know what a Gulf Stream is. It's badly named. I know that. <laughs> that's that's Clearly, all I got. Clearly, you're not enough of a baller. <laughs> Apparently. So actually, I lied about everything. I don't even want a house. I just want a fleet of Gulf Streams that are connected by tunnels in the air. So I just have like 15 private that's, jets. That's your house? Yeah, yeah. One of my jets is like my living room. One of my jets is my kitchen. I just walk between them. And I'm constantly You're flying over everyone. the Jetsons, but only for you. Well, the Jetsons live in a stationary tower thing. Yeah, but it's They, they live in, in like the, the, sky. Sears, the CN Tower or something. You know? It is Besides, in the sky. Besides, if you're constantly moving the same speed as, as all the planes, that it's like it's stationary to what you. What I'm trying to say is I basically you know? want a shield helicarrier as my house. Okay. So I don't know how much those cost. I need to do some research. Something like that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that that's a preliminary episode. We will definitely get into more stuff. I think we've gone through quite a bit of detail here. Uh, we'll do a whole financial episode. We'll do a whole housing inspections episode. There'll be there'll be stuff, but it's going to be very spread out because we're still in the just looking yeah, phase. Yeah, it's going to take a bit to do this. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to rush it anyway. Yeah, I don't want to. This is something you don't rush. Yeah, uh, this is why we. You know, booked... I didn't think about what direction stuff faces, and you know, yeah, a, a lot of my list is just stuff to get me excited. I'm not even at the point where I'm thinking about actual mm-hmm. locational requirements yet. So well, there's is... a lot of time to go. This is why, you know, you and I both decided to sign another year-long lease. 
So now we have a yeah. whole year to do well, all the it's research. It's a to do a bunch of cool stuff in Denver. Exactly. While yeah. researching. There is stuff to be uh, enjoyed here while we're here. Yeah. So we will have future episodes in this series coming, but I cannot tell you when they will come because they're just they're going to come as we experience these things ourselves. In the meantime, though, I would love to hear your own house buying questions. You may very well turn me on to something that I didn't even consider. So if you're watching this yeah. on YouTube, comment down below. Otherwise, um, I'm Tom Frankly on Twitter and Instagram. So you can tweet me or you can leave comments on Instagram posts or DM me on Instagram. I do check my DMs, though I can't always answer every single one of them, but I do check them. Um, you know, you can always email us questions. Thomas at collegeinfogeek.com, though it's not always going to Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> That's the unfortunate thing about having a name email address out in public. Sometimes, you know, you outsource it, but people think, it's Thomas. It does say that. Sometimes it's, it's me. It's in the name. It's me if it gets assigned to me. Yeah. Because we are now really businessy. Yay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the place where it's easiest for us to collect questions is actually on the YouTube episode because there's that nice convenient comment section right beneath the video. So if you are listening to this, maybe check out the YouTube version. We do have all these cool cameras. That is true. And, they are uh, cool cameras. We have that fun little comment section. So let us know what your questions are, uh, you know, whenever you're thinking about buying a house or, you know, how, how long it's going to take or whatever it is. And we'll consider those both in our own buying process and in the uh, outlines for future episodes. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, we will have links to that radius calculator that I talked about. So some of those mortgage calculators uh, to Zillow where you can start looking at houses. That's where I look at houses all the time. Then uh, CIGpodcast.com slash 205 is the URL you're going to want to go to in your browser. If you're listening to this in a podcast app, the show notes may be in the app right there. Though they're not in Spotify. Oh, yeah? Nope. Hmm. No show notes in Spotify. I'm a little sad about that. But yeah, Spotify is a very closed system. They don't want to be linking out to stuff, I guess. So hmm. they only take that little tiny right. description. So CIGpodcast.com is where you can find all the show notes. Just put the episode number at the end, uh, you know, slash 205, slash whatever. Or if you are watching this on YouTube, there is that show notes link in the description below. So check that out. Thanks for listening. I'll be looking for your thoughts and feedback on this episode. And if you want to support this podcast, Apple Podcasts has a rating and review system. Those are always highly appreciated. And they also help to bump our show up the rankings in Apple Podcasts, which is where most people actually get this show and discover it. So that is a great way to support and help to grow the show. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening as always. And we will see you in the next episode. Stay cute.